Do you want to know God's will for your life? I expect we do, don't we? Do you want guidance on decisions that you face? I would have thought we all do, don't we? And that's our subject tonight. First of all, let me explain how we got to this subject. We have been in a series on judges, but we skipped over a passage that is sometimes used when uh, seeking guidance. And the passage is Judges 6, 36 to 40. Let's turn to that, although we're going to spend most of our time not in that chapter. But let's turn to start with to Judges 6, verses 36 to 40. Here's a passage often used when seeking guidance. And it's very strange this, you know. We moved on from this and we'd moved on in Judges. Chapter 9 we were in last time. And last time someone said to me afterwards, I don't think you should have... I'm disappointed that you didn't deal with the fleece. And I think other people will be disappointed too. How about going back to it? And can you guess who the person was? It was John Manton. And here we are, going back to it, sort of, this evening. I'm not going to actually be preaching this passage. Uh, What I'm intending to do is simply this, to make some comments about it and then use it, in a sense, as a bit of an excuse to give some guidelines on guidance. Because it's an important subject that clearly bothers a lot of people. So I'm not claiming to be preaching the passage It's more a bit of a topical study, starting with this passage, a few comments, and then quickly going on to guidance more generally. So let's start with Gideon's fleece here in these verses. In case you're not familiar, I'll remind you the story. God has appeared to Gideon at the beginning of the chapter and told him he'll use Gideon to rescue Israel from enemies. And he's been clear and specific It means Gideon will defeat the Midianites. And then Gideon, in verse 36, says, well, God, if you will do this, make this fleece wet overnight, soaked with the dew, while the ground around is dry. And God does. And the next day he says, well, let's just check. This time make the fleece dry and the ground wet. And God does. And so Gideon goes and defeats the Midianites. Now, people have got from this a method of guidance that they have called putting out a fleece. Now, they don't actually put out a fleece and ask for it to be wet and dry, but they do things similar to that to test what does God want me to do, and they call it putting out a fleece. So, for example, I'm told about a preacher who pre- he had his sermon prepared, and he turned up to church, And the service went on as usual until the hymn before the sermon. And he got this overwhelming sense that there was a different passage that he needed to preach on. He got an overwhelming sense that he should preach on a certain verse. And he he was in a sweat during the hymn. What does he do? But in the end, this this is overwhelming. I've got to preach on that passage. And so he did, off the hoof, said something on that passage, not the one he prepared. Afterwards, as people went out, one of the men going out said, well, thank you, preacher. I'm so glad you preached on that verse. I'm facing a decision, and I asked God to show me, if this is the right thing to do, please would the preacher preach on such and such verse. And the preacher said to him, don't you ever put a preacher through that again. (laughs) Now, he didn't claim, oh, no, nonsense, coincidence, God doesn't do those things. He didn't say that, but he said, don't you put the preacher through it again. That's, That's an example of putting a fleece out. God, if you want this, then show it by that. 
Is it a good way of getting guidance? Is it a good way of making decisions? Well, I would suggest it isn't. And I'll give you some reasons why I don't think it is. First of all, it's not what Gideon was doing here. Did you notice Gideon wasn't trying to work out what God was saying to do because God had already said it. He'd made it clear in the beginning of the chapter what he wanted Gideon to do. In fact, verse 36, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised. That's a sentence that shouldn't pass from anyone's lips, isn't it? If you will do what you've promised. But to be fair on Gideon, he's being required to do a very hard thing and he wants reassurance. So it's not about direction. It's about reassurance, which is a different thing. God had already told him what to do. And it's questionable whether he should have wanted reassurance in this way. One, because he should believe God's promise. But secondly, when he didn't believe God, or when he wasn't sure about believing God, God was very patient and kind to him, wasn't he? He did what Gideon asked for, and he did it the next night. But he later taught Gideon in a difficult way that he should trust him. By whittling down Gideon's army to a very small army that was going to, that really tested his faith. It's as if God's saying, look, you should have trusted me the first time and I'm going to teach you now the hard way to trust me. So this isn't a model for guidance because that's not what Gideon's doing. Here's another reason why I think it's not a good way of approaching guidance and that is people who do it tend to rig the system. Because we set the system, like Gideon sets it with the fleece. We tend to rig the system. For example, should I go for this job? Well, I'll put out a fleece. I'll send the application and see if it gets there. But what you do is, if you want the job, you send the application and you pray, God, if you don't want me to do this job, stop it getting there. And if you do want the job, have I got that the right way round? Did I say, I said, if, I meant if you do want the job. Is that what I said? If you do want the job. If you don't want the job, you post it without a stamp and say, God, if you want me to have this job, get it there. Do you see you've rigged the system? It's it's open to abuse. Here's a third reason it's not a good method for guidance. This is the book of Judges. Have you been listening during the book of Judges? It is not a book of good examples. Its theme is, with no king, people did what they saw fit, and what they saw fit got worse and worse. It's not that everyone is wrong in what they do, but it's not a book of good examples. If you treat judges like that, you will end up sacrificing your daughter and cutting your concubine into 12 pieces, all you men who have concubines. It's a misuse of judges. And here's a, th- here's a, what am I on to? Fourth? Fourth reason why it's not the best use of guidance, because the Bible shows us a better way. So let's now leave Judges 6 alone and consider better things the Bible says about guidance. I want to give you some guidelines on guidance. Now, I'm sure you know guidance is a massive subject. I obviously won't cover it all. I won't answer all your questions. Feel free to ask me them afterwards and I'll have a try but I hope I will lay a good foundation. And I've put in the notice sheet where we're going with this, but we're not doing number four in the notice sheet. Cut that one out. We're doing three of them. 
first thing we need to consider is, what does the Bible mean by God's will? People talk about discerning God's will. Guidance is seeking, what is God's will for me? But what does the Bible mean when it talks about God's will? Apparently, there are choose-your-own-adventure stories. In these choose-your-own-adventure stories, you get to a turning point in the story, and you can decide. There's trouble. If you want to flee the country, turn to page 16. If you want to hide in the cave, turn to page 36. Say you make your choice. Right, we're going to hide in the cave. You turn to page 36, and the cave turns out to be on the side of a volcano, and the volcano erupts. Oh, bad choice. Now, many treat guidance like that. You've got to figure out God's will, and is it his will I live in that house? Is it his will I marry that person? Is it his will that I have that job? I know he's got a plan for me, but if I make a wrong choice, it will be like turning to page 36 and finding that my life blows up. I've got the bad ending. I know God's got a plan for me, but I've got to somehow figure out what that plan is and make sure I don't miss it. But the Bible does not talk about God's will like that. It doesn't have it as a secret plan which you must figure out to be, in Christian language, in the centre of God's will. That's, that's our language, it's not the Bible's language. There are two ways the Bible speaks about God's will, and only two. One is God's will of decree. Okay, that phrase is not in the Bible, but that's a neat phrase for it. God's will of decree, that is his planning of everything that happens. This is where we're going to have some verses on the screen, hopefully. So one example is Ephesians 1, verse 11. We're putting them up there because there's a lot of them to save you turning to them. Ephesians 1, 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus... Oh, that's not right. <laughs> I will turn to it. There we go. First time we've gone wrong. That's not too bad, is it? Ephesians 1 verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Everything he works out according to his will. His will here is his plan for everything that happens. That includes the details. Let's have a try at Matthew 10, 29 to 30. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father? And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Everything that happens, God willed it. God had it planned. Even what you ate for dinner today. Even the Holocaust. Even Jesus dying on the cross. God's will means his plan for everything that's happened. But the Bible talks about God's will in another sense also. And we'll call this God's will of desire. Again, you won't find that phrase in the Bible, but it's just a convenient label. Because the Bible talks about God's will as the way he wants us to live. Here's some examples. 1 John 2, 17. Nope, we've gone wrong. 1 John 2, 17. I'll read it to you. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God 
lives forever. This isn't talking about God's secret plan because that just will happen. It's talking about what do you do? Do you do what God desires? Do you do, do you live the way he wants us to live? Let's try Matthew 7, 21. Okay, don't worry. I will read you Matthew 7.21. I did say at the beginning you will have to bear with this because it's the first time and I hope you all took that seriously. Yes? Matthew 7.21 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The one who does the will of my Father. This clearly isn't doing whatever God's got secretly planned. No, it's here. God's will is shorthand for doing what God wants, for doing what God commands. Now, it's a very important principle here. God's will of decree is not our business. His plan for everything that will happen is not our business. Doing what he tells us he desires, that is our business. This is a bit of a magical mystery tour. Let's see what we get next. I'm hoping for Deuteronomy 29, 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29. I will, I will have to be fast at flicking and you can listen. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Famous and very important verse. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. Such an important verse. The secret things. God has got planned everything in advance. Those are the secret things that really are none of our business. They're his business. But the things revealed, they're our business. And then it says, that we may follow all the words of this law. In other words, that we may obey him. Oh, there it is. That's good. So discovering God's will isn't working out somehow his secret plan for us. It is looking in the Bible to find out how he says we should live. Because how does God tell us what he desires? How does he tell it, show us how to live? Well, It's in his word here. Discovering God's will is looking in the Bible to find out how he says he wants us to live. Now, there are exceptions. There are exceptions. There are exceptional ways he can sometimes show people how he wants them to live. So, I've told you this one before, but please bear with it. At four o'clock in the morning of Thursday the 17th of March, 1988. The minister of the church I went to, John Marshall, woke up and woke his wife up and said, I must go and visit Rosemary Pettit. And it was just before my mother, Rosemary Pettit, died. I believe that that wasn't a coincidence, but God was revealing to him what he wanted him to do. But that is exceptional. For those who are wondering, I don't run my pastoral visiting that way. (laughs) You might think I do and wonder why it's taken me so long to visit you because I'm waiting for God to wake me up at four o'clock. No, that's not the way I normally run it. God can do those things, but those are the exceptions. So, for example, in Acts, in Acts, sometimes people were guided by prophecies and by visions. But even for the apostles, and even before scripture was completed, 
Those things were exceptions. In Acts, you more normally find Paul and the others thinking through what to do and saying things like, it seemed good to us. And in Acts, you don't find people seeking these extraordinary means. God might give them sometimes, but you don't find them running their life by seeking them. They run their life by seeking what God says in his word. The Bible shows us God's will. Right, there's our first really important foundational principle for guidance. What does it mean by God's will? It doesn't mean this, are you going to turn to page 36 and found you've made the wrong decision and your life blow up thing. It means, what in God's word does he say he wants me to do? Here's the second thing. Well then, what is God's will for you? What is God's will for you? Well, tonight I can confidently tell you I know exactly what is God's will for you. Here it is. Well, we'll see if it is. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3. There it is. That's good. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. What's that mean? It means holy. Set apart from sin. Set apart for God. Here's another one. By the way, there are four times Paul uses the phrase God's will. Here's the next Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. When Paul uses God's will, it's not make sure you identify the job he had planned for you. If you don't identify that job, oh, your life will blow up. No, it's make sure you thankfully rejoice and pray whatever job you're doing. That's God's will. Here's the third time Paul uses God's will. Colossians 1. For this reason, since the day we... Oh, this is long. Which, which bit do I want? I'm going to look in my Bible. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. You see here the context, God's will in this context, isn't knowing what university to go to. God's will in this context is knowing God's plan to work in us so that we are fruitful, so that we please him, so that we do good works. In other words, so we're Christ-like. One more verse, Ephesians 5, 17. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. But what's the chapter all about? It's a chapter with not a hint about what job should you do, who should you marry, or what house should you buy. No, it's a chapter that is about putting off sin and putting on righteousness. And knowing the Lord's will is knowing what are the sins we should put off, i.e. all of them, and what are the righteous acts to do in that circumstance. Not about the many choices that we worry about, which, if we're honest, most of the world doesn't worry about because they don't have those choices. Aren't so many of our issues of guidance because we have such a lot of choice that most of the world through most of history hasn't had. What job should I do? No choice. My dad at the age of 14, the headmaster called his father into school and said, 
no point this boy being in school anymore. He's not clever enough. Get him a job. And his father said, right, son, you're going to be a plumber. That's it. And a plumber he was till the day he died. And he served God as it, as a plumber. No choice in the matter. Because being discerning about what God's will is, is how do I serve him in this job? Rather than what exactly is the job I should do? There's God's will for you. Was it a disappointment? I said, I know exactly what God's will is for you. Did you get your hopes up? I doubt it. But it shouldn't be a disappointment. Because Christ, a Christ-like, righteous, fruitful life, this is the route to joy and happiness. Not getting all of our choices exactly just so. And this shows up, these verses about the Lord's will show up. So often our approach to guidance is, God, will you make my agenda work? Rather than, God, what's your agenda for my life? So often our approaches to guidance are, God, what choice should I make so I don't hit trouble? Rather than, God, what should I do to be Christ-like in these circumstances? Do you see, our approach to guidance often isn't that much in line with God's priorities. Here's a little example. A friend of mine called Phil had just moved to Zambia and he needed to buy a pickup truck. You need a pickup truck in Zambia. And he asked God to guide him because he was new to the country and he didn't know the system, he didn't know how things worked. And I was with him and now he was broken down hundreds of miles into the bush. And he said to me, oh, I was so sure that God had guided me to that truck. Yeah? Implication, I must have got it wrong because we're broken down a hundred miles into the bush. Well, maybe it was the truck that God guided him to, but maybe God's plan was to teach him to trust him when he's stuck in the middle of nowhere. Not a plan to just make things work out smoothly. Now, you probably recognise that feels wrong to think that guidance means you never have car troubles. But how about swapping the word car for marriage? And might that indicate that we do tend to think a bit like Phil? That we think guidance means God protecting us from having any trouble. I'm not saying God doesn't care whether you have marriage troubles or not, by the way. I'm not saying God doesn't care about your happiness. But I am saying... God's will is our sanctification, is our Christ-likeness, and that doesn't insulate us from all troubles. And we need to get our approach to guidance in line with his priorities. Third section, you'll see if you're following on the notice sheet, is obedience and wisdom. So we've had, what does the Bible mean by God's will? What actually is God's will for you? And then thirdly, obedience and wisdom. Given all that I've just said, it's not surprising the Bible doesn't say much about guidance the way we normally think about it. No, but the Bible says a lot about obedience and wisdom. Obedience. It follows from what I've said God's will is that the most basic question of guidance is what is the obedient thing to do? That should be our first question, not... What is God guiding me here? What is his will? But what is the obedient thing to do? That follows from what I've said. God's will is. But it also follows from verses such as Psalm 23, verse 3. 
He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God's concern is righteousness. What's righteousness? It's that we obey him. It follows from verses like Psalm 119, verse 105. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. God's word. You you want to be guided? Well, you better have a lamp for your path so you can see the way. What is the lamp? It's God's word. What does the next verse say it's about? Following his laws. It's about obeying him. When facing decisions, the first and most basic question to ask is, what is obeying God in this situation? Philip Jensen used to lead, I don't know, maybe he still does, a studenty large Anglican church in Sydney. And he says that many of the students there, they finish their degree, and then they sit around for ages wondering, what is God's guidance? What is his will for what job I should do? And they spend quite a while without a job while trying to figure out what is the job that is God's will for me. And he is a blunt Australian, and this is a little politically incorrect. I hope you'll excuse it. But he says to them, look, it doesn't matter whether you are an optician or a social worker. Either way, you'll be dealing with short-sighted people. That's, that's his politically incorrect Australianism. But he says the one thing the Bible makes clear is not God's will, is for you to sit around not working. If any does not work, neither shall he eat. So instead of agonising over, might you hit the wrong job and you're outside God's will, stop doing the one thing that's clearly outside his will, which is being lazy, being idle. Now I know not everyone can get a job, he's not talking about that. He's talking about people who are sitting around not getting a job because they're agonising, will it be the right or the wrong? Get on and obey is the first step of guidance. What's the obedient thing to do? But we also need the next, wisdom. What is obedient? But then next, what is wise? You see, some things are neither obedient nor disobedient, are they? And I am not saying, in case it sounded like it, it doesn't matter what job you do. Go and be a concert pianist, even though you've got three fingers missing. That's not wise. It's not disobedient, but it's not wise. Some, de- some decisions are not disobedient, but they're plain unwise. I'll quote another leader of a studenty Anglican church, this time in Oxford, Vaughan Roberts. He said, the Bible doesn't tell me who to marry. It, it gives various, it does tell you some things. It says, should be someone who is a believer. It should be someone who is single, not already married. It should be someone who's not closely related. It should be someone of the opposite sex. It's rather sad. When I heard him say this, it must have been about 2001 or 2002. And the last one seemed a bit of a joke, someone of the opposite sex. Our society is so given to madness and sin, it's now necessary to say. But he said, other than that, the Bible doesn't tell you. He did say he found a verse that said, you shall go out with joy. But he thought that that wasn't the Bible telling him who to marry. I was disappointed because my sister called Joy wasn't yet married. And I thought Vaughan Roberts as a brother-in-law would be rather nice. Anyway, he said, it just sets those things. And then it leaves you free. But it doesn't mean all the options free would be wise ones. See, it sets the limits, but it then doesn't say, well, then just marry anyone who fits those categories. 
Because that could be very unwise. I'm saying you don't need to tie yourself in knots discovering God's secret plan. That's impossible. But I'm not saying be careless. We need wisdom. And do remember that wisdom doesn't just mean cleverness. Wisdom includes prayerfulness. So the Psalms many times say, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord, the Psalms tell us. Wisdom includes prayerfulness. Wisdom includes asking other people. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed, Proverbs tells us. Wisdom includes learning from experience. There are people who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Hebrews tells us. Wisdom includes taking notice of a well-taught conscience. Wisdom is difficult. I'm not pretending guidance is easy. But it's a matter of, firstly, what is obedient, and secondly, what is wise. Remember, wisdom doesn't mean being able to discover God's secret will. That is not our business. Our business is... Obey God's revealed will and then be wise. That really is a summary of what I'm trying to say. Obey God's revealed will and then be wise. Now, of course, there's far more could be said about guidance. We've moved a long way, haven't we, from Gideon's fleece. You've probably forgotten we started with Gideon's fleece. Some approaches to guidance are like, as screen's been a little this evening, a magical mystery tour. What's going to come next? Reading the tea leaves so you don't miss out on what's God's secret plan for you. That for some reason he won't tell you, you've got to figure it out yourself. I've told us a way that I hope frees us from that. I think it's a liberating approach to guidance. It says, if it's not disobedient and if it's not wise, you're free to do it. There is Christian freedom. And you can do it without anxiety. It's a liberating approach. And it's also, I hope I've demonstrated, a biblical approach. It may leave you with many questions. Feel free to ask them afterwards.